We got Verizon 5G home internet. It's from Verizon. Safe choice, right? Well, some things that look great end up being not so great. Like the time you bought a shrimp roll from a gas station. Ugh. Or when you bought that used sports car. <laughs> What about when we got Billy that drum set? The point is, Verizon 5G home internet sounded great. But turned out to be something else. And we deserve fast, reliable internet. We deserve Xfinity. It's time for better internet. Switch to Xfinity. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Verizon 5G facts. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your hosts from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora. Always lit. Talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 56. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday, Steelers Nation, as the Pittsburgh Steelers get ready to travel to Atlanta to take on the Falcons this Sunday at one o'clock Pittsburgh four and seven on the season again, taking on the Falcons who sit at five and seven on the year. So barring a tie, somebody's leaving with eight losses, but uh, Dave, how you doing? Doing well. Do you realize it's been 10 years ago today that we witnessed Charlie batch beating, uh, beating the Ravens 23 to 20 and what would wind up being his last game uh, he ever played in uh, uh, that was uh the one where uh, Swisham hit the uh, field goal at the end to give him, uh, give him the go ahead, you know, go ahead score there, and uh, the dramatic uh, hugging of uh, Charlie Batch and, and Ben Roethlisberger on the sideline there. It's one of those moments that I don't think, yeah, at least with me, I you know, uh, 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 during the two thousands for sure, uh, you know, that span of twenty years there, I, I certainly won't forget. But it's been, it's already been ten years ago today since that happened. Yeah, time flying by. And I think about to, to bring it to Atlanta, that 34-34 tie. It's one of my earlier Steelers football mm. memories, which is A, to make you feel old, because I know that's not one of your earliest Steelers memories. But for me, that that Plexigo Burrs making that catch at the one-yard line in that bonkers game. Mm-hmm. Um, don't play Atlanta too often, but that's a memory that certainly sticks out. And overall, they they played uh, the Falcons really well. And, and, and you know, every time uh, they do play the Falcons, though, you want to talk about first football memories. Uh, that uh, the first NFL game that I ever attended uh, was that uh, preseason. I believe it was a Monday night preseason game uh, at Atlanta, Fal- uh, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium uh, there uh, uh, had uh, had had tickets for that. You know, Bradshaw Swan. Uh, all like that. So uh, that's been, I, I think I was around, what was it, about 12 years old, I think at the time. So it was probably around 1979, 1980, but uh, 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 got to, got to see a preseason game between the Falcons and the Steelers uh, that year. So uh, certainly significant whenever they, uh, they play the Falcons because that brings up that memory. And speaking of Falcons, a little bit later in the show, we'll have a, a, a guest uh, analyst for Covers Atlanta. That'll be Aaron Freeman, who covers the Falcons for Locked on Falcons and Falcoholic. You can uh, follow Aaron and you should on Twitter at FalcFans. So that's F-A-L-C fans. We'll talk to Aaron in a little bit, get his perspective on all things Atlanta. But Dave, we'll start with the Pittsburgh Steelers and their injury report for the week and not looking great for two players so far in running back Najee Harris and uh, cornerback Akella Witherspoon. Neither have practiced at all this week. We'll see what the final 
injury report says on Friday, but those guys not trending in the right direction. Limited on Thursday, some new names, some continued names in Benny Snell, Robert Spillane, Mason Cole, TJ Watt, but those guys probably nothing to be incredibly alarmed about overall. Should also mention not practicing on Thursday included Miles Jack with that knee that seems to be bugging him throughout the last month or so. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi with a toe and Kim Hayward. Uh, that was just for for being old, essentially. Uh, but really watching the names right now is going to be Nashi Harris and, and trying to see his status for this weekend. Yeah, that will be the, uh, the obviously the biggest thing there. And it is normally uh, what's going to happen with Jack and Ogunjobi. Normally you don't see guys go uh, limited than no, no practice. It's usually right. the other, the other way there. So yeah, it's hard to guess what, what might be going on there, but this is a short week. And my, I, you know, Mike Tomlin kind of hinted it, you know, might do things a little bit different here uh, as far, as far as that goes. So maybe that's, that's one of those things there. If, if you know, if both are able to, to, to practice, obviously on Friday, that'll be a good sign. We'll see what the status report says, but uh, as it looks right now, just reading the tea leaves, it looks like no Witherspoon, obviously that's not a surprise at this point. And then it's not looking good for Najee. And if, if, if that's indeed the case, we would expect to see Anthony McFarlane jr. Elevated from the practice squad uh, again on Saturday. And then you know, your three backs would 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 obviously be Warren Snell and McFarland uh, versus uh, the Falcons. Which I mean, look, those those guys ran good uh, overall. It'd be good to get Warren back. I wouldn't imagine that you're going to go too strenuous on Warren uh, off of that uh, hamstring, especially the way those 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 other guys played uh, last week. But it would be a kind of a a nice one-two punch or one-two-three punch, if you will, uh, with Snell, Warren, and McFarland to see how that works out. It's probably going to be committee by committee. The Falcons have a big running back committee and the Steelers may have one as well. So the good news on this report, as you mentioned, Jalen Warren has been working in full since Wednesday. So there shouldn't be a lot of limitations on him. So as Mike Tomlin uh, truthfully said last week, it was a minor hamstring injury. Those things can linger as Witherspoon is, is evidence of. Miles Boykin also should play. And when you're facing Cordero Patterson with how bad this kick coverage unit has been, Boykin coming back on a moment too soon. I think Ogunjobi, just my guess, will be good. Jack, I'm a little worried about. He did not move well last week against the Colts. He was really struggling. Jonathan did a film room on Jack struggling in coverage. And so mm. that knee seems to be, be a problem throughout the last month or so. I think we'll just have to watch the, the report pretty closely today. Yeah, Friday will uh, Friday the status reports. And, and I, I'm guessing now, too, if, uh, if a player ends is questionable, uh, Mike Tomlin, and I, I think this has been kind of proven since they kind of changes, changed up the uh, designations on the uh, injury reports and gotten rid of uh, the whole probable tag. Which I hate. I had a terrible <laughs> take on this. I bring. Why did they ever get rid of the probable tag? I need to know because questionable and probable, I mean, you want to know what side of questionable they're on and you're never quite sure. Right. Uh, if anything, they should uh, uh, get rid of the questionable and yeah. <laughs> make, make them choose probable or doubtful right. uh, uh, there. But uh it, I, I guess what I'm getting at here is uh, guys that kind of end up, you know, I, I guess seven times out of 10 guys that ended up questionable. Don't make it on when, when, uh, when it comes to the Steelers there. So we'll see. I'm sorry. Repeat that seven out of 10 times. I, I think probably, I, yeah. I think most of the guys that end up uh, questionable now with the Steelers end up don't or end up being inactive. Okay. Wow. 
I mean, look, look, look at what happened last week. I, I mean, I don't know what you thought about Robert Splain going into the weekend, but uh, I had a pretty good feeling. Well, we got the, you know, uh, because of the elevation there with Cody White on Saturday, we had a pretty good idea that Miles Boykin wasn't going to make it, and he ended the week as doubtful. But I kind of, I kind of envisioned Robert Splain playing last week, and he didn't. Same, same. Now, the question is, let's, Splain's been limited all week. I'm going to assume he plays, even if Jack, dresses could Spillane start the way that Jack was at the Bengals game, whatever game Saints game, whatever game that was where Jack dressed, but Spillane started over top of him. So still things to watch, even if we feel like Jack is going to play this weekend. Good point. All right, moving on. A quick note on on Atlanta. They seem to be pretty healthy, right? Right. The big name to watch is uh, their rookie, Arnold Ebiketti. Right. That's it. Uh, uh, The other tackle and defensive lineman on there uh, on the injury report really haven't played much this season. So uh, they could wind up being inactive anyway. Uh, Igato Igato, uh, uh, is the tackle's name. Uh, But uh, yeah, uh, Arnold is the one to watch with that forearm injury. All right, gotcha there. Moving on now to the coordinator corner with Matt Canada and Terrell Austin. The cheerier Matt Canada seemed to be speaking yesterday, although still some of that, he's got that Ben-like snark in there. There was one comment that he made. He was saying, you know, we, we watch all the, the, the plays around the league, as I'm sure you guys do too, just stuff like that that he drops in there. But anyway, Canada speaking about Kenny Pickett, a lot of questions about uh, his improvement and things like that. thought a really interesting comment Canada made was talking about Pickett is now you know, basically scrambling to throw as opposed to scrambling to run in, in the sense of keeping his eyes downfield. And whenever he, he leaves the pocket, it's not just to take off. It's to look for the open man. And if that's not there, then he's going to take off. We've talked about that quite a bit. I pointed that out against the Bengals. I thought he had some of those great examples of him being able to keep his eyes downfield, scan and throw as opposed to running. That was evident on the two point conversion as well against the Colts. So to me, that's one of those subtle things you're seeing a lot better from Kenny Pickett. Look, he's he he's uh last couple games seems like he's made good decisions on when to run and when not to run. Uh obviously there was some design uh, uh probably one one too many design uh quarterback keepers in there, but uh, you have that uh, we've seen him be able to uh effectively use the quarterback sneak and uh you know in this uh, you know in particular this last game we've seen him uh be able to extend extend a play or two. Uh, for sure in these last two games. So that's, uh, that's definitely progression in a positive uh, way. He's not running. He's not scrambling just to run now, as you, as you stated, and look, even going back and, and rewatching some of that all 22 from this last game. Uh, once again, I think he's starting to use his eyes a little bit better as a weapon, uh, even on that, uh, that middle of the field throw to, uh, to, uh, to Pickens that, you know, obviously could have been higher off the ground and Pickett's probably could have done it or, or should have done a better job of catching it. I thought Pickett did a great job of using his eyes to manipulate the linebacker out of the throwing uh, throwing lane there and uh, kind of make him think he's going to uh, to fryer moves uh, underneath there. So uh, going to be interesting to see as part of this progression what what that looks like in the next game you know mike thomas says he's getting better it 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 you know it seems to be getting better uh week by week and you know really everything that 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 that, that matt, matt canada had to say i think on uh on, on thursday was was on you know was 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 right on the money 
Sure. Now the the one issue or one of the issues still outstanding for the Steelers offense is that second half, third quarter, they are 31st this year in third quarter points with mm. 19 points scored in the third quarter. Only Denver, which has been the worst offense in football, has been uh, worse in the third quarter. And that that happened in that Colts game, happened in the Bengals game as well. So, you know, Canada essentially saying just got to make plays. He said, I don't have any ma- magic. We just have to convert and execute and walk through some of the moments, you know, a bad pass by picket, some other missed opportunities, getting behind the sticks, things like that. But that third quarter offense, still a, a big, uh, you know, issue for this team overall. Yeah, look, I mean, and, and you know, I highlighted one of the uh, first plays coming out in the second half, right? Uh, looks like you had that screen uh, there if you want it and, 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 and you don't block it up there. And then uh, you go back in and look at, uh, I believe it was second half there. Well, it was because they overcame uh, the negative play in the situation, ended up scoring a touchdown there. But that little slip screen to the tight end to to Gentry over to the left left side, Alex. I mean, is it a it's it's a bad play because it ended a negative four yards, right? But if right. if if but you got the way it was drawn up and against the defense, uh, you have out uh, what more and uh, uh, Cole. Uh, Cole, Cole, yeah, Cole out there on the edge. I mean, if you block it up, Gentry's running a while, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe the messages don't run screens early in the second half because it didn't work against the Bengals, although it looks good on paper. The execution's not been there. I mean, I get with Gentry, he's kind of the decoy, the last guy you think is going to touch the football. You think about the Bengals game week one, gets a big 30-plus yard play off of that. But you really want Gentry being the guy in space because that thing's got to be blocked up perfectly because Gentry's not going to probably do a lot to, to create after the catch. Yeah. But I mean, you had the numbers that you want, right? I mean, uh, just block it up. Now, obviously it's see, yeah, you got, you know, more athletic guys coming after your offensive lineman there. And I don't know if they could have done a better job to maybe to sell that because you got to get the ball kind of out. I, I right. thought Gentry's release was fine. Uh, I, I thought the whole timing of it was fine other than, <laughs> they didn't get it blocked up. I, mean, I guess uh, my point is, is, at what point do you sit there and say it looks good on the whiteboard, but then in, in action, it's not working. So let's not try to run into a brick wall. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I think you got to use it in. You know, it's not something you want to see three, four times a game, obviously. But I, I think you leave it in there and, and, and keep trying to see if you can hit it. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, I just wonder well, if there are some game, better ways to address you know? it. Yeah. Oh, point oh, oh, and I found the McFarland play as well too. They should have they should have ran that the the other direction to the uh, they should have ran it to the field side and, and and run it exactly like they did against ball run run the two <laughs> run the two uh, wide receiver verts on 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 that side. They, they you know it looked kind of clunky the way they they drew this one up in there and it it led to it being tightly covered. Yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't perfect, but be sure to send that clip to Matt Canada so he can can use it. This, this may be the last weekend he can use it. Maybe last chance for right. McFarland. So uh, we'll see what happens. Anything else, Matt Canada, that he spoke on that you wanted to uh, discuss? No, I think we hit. You know, not turning football over and that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it really wasn't that in depth, but uh, yeah, I, I think we got it. Moving on now to D.C. Terrell Austin um, talked about Cam Sutton's football IQ, talked about James Pierre's work ethic. So you're seeing the cornerback group group get get better, grow, and, and that will have to continue. Although the Falcons pass game, not the most daunting group in the world. Trey London, first round pick and still can't take anything for granted. So speaking well to the uh, growth and maturity of that cornerback room. 
Right. And didn't he get a little bit testy about, uh, asked about something about grumpy or, or, or there was the angry little man, oh, okay, man yeah. comment about Millet. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like he kind of snapped back a little bit about that. I, I don't know why there, but, uh, anything else, uh, kind of, kind of stick out to you that we talked obviously about, uh, Patterson and having to defend against him this week. And, uh, a lot of praise for Alex Highsmith during his, during his interview yesterday. Uh, you think, did he make it seem like James Pierre was kind of a, uh, a one-off if you will, or, or in other words, that does he sound committed to playing, you know, Pierre on the outside some and Sutton in the inside? Um, he had made a reference to a flu bug going around the room, and I, I'm if I'm reading the tea leaves, that would make it sound like Ballette wasn't 100, percent and that's what kind of bumps Sutton inside more. I don't know how how true that is, but there's probably some validity to it, I'm sure. But I think the recognition was that Ballette just can't be the every down guy. That was never the plan with him. We've talked about that. Uh, several times already. So I, I don't know if I if I got one off comments. He seemed to, to praise Pierre overall, uh, right. but we'll see how it looks against a, a pretty run heavy Falcons team where a you might not have three corners on the field a lot. And B, when you do, you probably want guys who can stop the run. So you probably will see more Millette this weekend. Right, right. And once again, it does, at least up until this point, I don't think the Falcons uh, uh, are heavy 11 personnel team there, but uh, no, they, they barely have three receivers on the right. roster, let alone three guys you play. Um, right. Go ahead. Uh, just what else do you have on Austin? Yeah, I was just going to say two quick things. One, the situation of football. Um, it, it was an issue at the start of the year since the buy Pittsburgh third down defense is at 27%, which is I think the best in football. Matthew Marks, he said, so um, big turnaround there in terms of them getting off the field on third down. And then the last thing, Austin not asked about that uh, this week, although probably would have been a good time to ask him, will DeMarvin Leal get activated? I think his he's, he's, uh, date's coming up here and within by the weekend, right? Uh, I think it's actually it next Wednesday of next week, right? Wasn't it something the like seventh? the 16th or something when... Uh, uh, no, I think it's earlier than that. When, when, when was his window opened? Yeah, I mean, uh, November 16th. Well, that's so, what I said, 16th. Oh, I thought you were saying December 16th as in terms of the date for him. No, okay, but. no. So that would put it uh, 23rd, 30. I put it at the 7th, right? That's that right. Has, yeah. That's, gotcha. uh, so, so that's why I said it. I, I don't think it has to be this weekend. So, but it it obviously could be. But, but what, what would that move look like unless, uh, unless you just washed your hands with a witherspoon and, and put him on IR? Uh, well, at this point, is he ever going to play? I don't know. It doesn't look like it. Right. So, but uh, yeah, you're right. I guess I was uh, thinking ahead a little bit too much that they have until next Wednesday to uh, to activate him or not. Right. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I Unless somebody gets hurt, I mean, it doesn't feel like they're going to make a move, does it? Not right now, I guess. No. Uh, generally, they've been using that, that window as, as long as possible, except with TJ Watt, of course, because he's TJ Watt. So you're, you're probably right. They're going to, unless Ogan Joby doesn't play, then maybe you go with Liao, uh, you know, activating him there. Right. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on that on Saturday and whatever moves and elevations uh, this team makes. And that Friday final injury report should give us some clarity towards what this team may do this weekend. So that's a good, uh, Good time to pause here, I think, and uh, take a quick break and come back with our, our friend Aaron Freeman. First time on the Terrible Podcast. He covers the Falcons for 
Locked On Falcons and Falco Holic. You can follow him on Twitter at South Fans. We'll take a pause and come back with Aaron to discuss the Atlanta Falcons. Absolutely. Okay, welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. It is Friday. It is uh, week 13 of the NFL. Uh, on Sunday, the Pittsburgh Steelers will travel to Atlanta to take on the Atlanta Falcons in a uh, game that should be quite interesting. The Steelers obviously coming off of a win uh, on, on on Monday night against the Indianapolis Colts. And to help us pre with, with this being a Friday, with, with it being a game weekend, uh, as usual, we have uh, someone who covers the other team on to give us some, uh, you know, some inside talk a little bit about matchups. Uh, hopefully give us a prediction at some point as well, too. Uh, this week we have Aaron Freeman. Uh, Aaron covers the Falcons for the Locked on Falcons podcast. Uh, he also does some writing on the Falcons and you can find his work. Uh, I think it's the Falcoholic. We will put all those links in the uh in the post on SteelersDepot.com for this podcast so you can find his work. You can also follow him on Twitter at FalcFans. That's F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. Aaron Freeman, welcome to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, appreciate you joining us, uh, Aaron. Uh, let's start uh, first and foremost. This team obviously you know, uh, had a big injury recently with Kyle Pitts. He's now on IR. He's had uh, the surgery. He's going to miss the rest of the season. Uh, uh, Aaron, talk first and foremost about you know uh, you know how big of a loss that is for this offense. Well, it's a significant loss for the Falcons offense, although you probably wouldn't be able to tell just looking at Kyle (laughs) Pitts' stats and and box scores this year. But uh, even though he doesn't get a lot of uh, catches and and production in this offense, he is still a big part of the offense just due to the attention that he draws. And obviously, you guys know that, you know, when you take a weapon like that away, that has at least the potential. We haven't seen that potential realized too often this year, but at least has the potential to be a threat. It does make the defense's job a whole lot easier. They can focus on some of the other players like Drake London and Alameda Zacchaeus and Cordero Patterson a lot more and, and focus on keeping those guys contained. So losing Kyle Pitts is a big loss to the Falcons, but obviously we know that the Falcons offense is not predicated on throwing the ball to their tight end, uh, much to the chagrin of fantasy owners uh, worldwide. But it is really about running the football. So while it's a significant loss, it isn't necessarily as devastating as it would be for most teams losing their number one uh, weapon. Uh, without them, when you look at the tape, they, it looks like even without Pitts, they are who they are. And that's uh, uh, not a lot of 11 personnel. They they tend to have a lot of two tight ends still out on the field, uh, as you mentioned, or, you know, or as, as the tape shows, man, a lot of zone uh, outside zone, zone reads, uh, uh, that kind of stuff. They use uh, uh, Cordero Patterson out of the backfield. Uh, they, in other words, without Kyle Pitts, they still are who they are, right? And that offense, as you kind of just said, uh, runs through the ground. Uh, they try to stay in, uh, uh, you know, uh, third and manageable type situations. You don't foresee that changing. You don't foresee that maybe uh, an uptick in 11 personnel moving forward, do you? No, not at this point. Um, There was a a glimmer of the possibility that they might try to transition a little bit more to those three wide receiver sets in that 11 personnel, but then they cut sort of their third wide receiver and Brian Edwards last week. 
uh, who who wound up going to Kansas City. Uh, so at this point in time, they're basically, as you say, they are who they are. Their identity is running the football. They're going to put uh, tight ends on the field, guys like Parker Hesse and Michael Pruitt, uh, two blocking tight ends, although they've been able to uh, figure out more ways uh, to get Michael Pruitt involved in the red zone offense with two touchdown catches, just as many as Kyle Pitts has had. And, you know, that's been sort of a little bit of a frustrating point for Falcon fans watching. They're like, why is this guy uh, catching? as many touchdowns as, as Kyle Pitts, but you know that will be something that the Falcons will have to sort of figure out uh, how to get Kyle Pitts more involved in 2023. Aaron, can you just walk us through the, the backfield rotation? Because it is sort of a unique run-heavy offense. In some ways, are they comparable to, to what Steeler fans see against Baltimore? You have three running backs plus Mariota as a, as a quarterback threat. Do the running backs get used in certain circumstances, situations? Are there more pass-down backs, more backs that get split out? I know Patterson is a guy that can you know, catch the football. How do they approach that, that running back rotation? Yeah. With Cordero Patterson coming back from an injury a couple of weeks ago, it, it, it now they have the potential to be a three headed backfield, but uh, since Patterson's return, Caleb Huntley, who was very productive for them in Patterson's absence, has sort of gone by the wayside. He's only gotten a handful of carries these last couple of weeks. So it's really at this point, sort of, um, a combination of Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier. And for the most part, they're pretty interchangeable with how they utilize them in the offense. Obviously, Patterson has, you know, a, a versatile and unique skill set able to line up, you know, split out wide and play in the slot and even occasionally will line up sort of at tight end. Uh, but the Falcons really have not done a great job getting him that involved in the passing attack uh, this season. Um, and so I don't expect that to change. It would be certainly a welcome change if they can get Patterson back to where he was a year ago when he was one of the more productive receiving running backs in the NFL. But for the most part, it is a, a situation where Algier and Patterson will basically split time. You'll get a sprinkling of of Caleb Huntley in that uh, unit, you know, one or two touches probably at this point. Uh, but primarily, it's just going to be a one two punch with Patterson and Algier. And then when it comes to the receiver room, obviously there's Drake London first round pick at the top. And then beyond that, with Pitts removed, he's out for the season. There's not much there. So what was this team's approach to its receiver room? And what other threats should Steeler fans be worried about besides Drake London? Yeah, I think Alameda Zacchaeus, who's sort of been their de facto number three with, you know, Kyle Pitts kind of being their number one and, and Drake London maybe being a 1A or 1B uh, type. Uh, Zacchaeus is a big part of their offense, particularly when it comes to like third downs and critical downs. He's been their primary chain mover or at least their most reliable chain mover uh, when it comes to his targets. He's also been their most explosive playmaker, uh, which has been a little bit surprising. Last I checked, he had about nine uh, 20 plus yard plays this year. And Drake London's only had like five. Kyle Pitts only had like five. Um, and so Zacchaeus is a guy that you have to, to be a lot a lot more worried about than I think probably most people would think looking at the Falcons receiver core thinking, oh, it's it's a Pitts, you know, drink London show. Uh, Zacchaeus is coming off a career high or a season high, uh, 90 yards uh, from a week ago. Um, so he's a player that I think you have to keep an eye on. Um, the last couple of weeks, we haven't really seen Drake London uh, be heavily involved in the offense and hopefully that sort of will change this week in part due to the fact that I am starting him in my fantasy team this weekend and I need him uh, as we're gearing up for the playoffs but 
I, I do hope to see a little bit more involvement from Drake London, but primarily it's just those two guys uh, that now with pits down, the, the tight ends aren't going to be a, a big part of their offense other than uh, occasional pass to Hesse or Anthony Ferks or, or Michael Pruitt uh, in, in certain situations. So it's going to be basically the Drake London and Alameda Zacchaeus show at that wide receiver position. Although you do have to keep an eye on guys like Demir Bird. He's been another sort of vertical threat for them uh, in their offense. And Kadero Hodge, uh, who's primarily been a special teamer throughout his career, has also shown up at some critical situations on third down. So it, it's mostly Zacchaeus in London, uh, but every now and then uh, uh, Demir Bird or Kadero Hodge will sort of sneak out there and you're like, okay, who is this guy uh, catching the football and making you know one of these big plays uh, down the field? Uh, Aaron, have you seen with the uh, with with the Falcons and as much kind of that zone read that they run with Mariota and all? Uh, have you seen a lot of teams attack that with with kind of the mesh charge off of the edge? I think a couple of times I saw uh, one of the Washington defenders uh, uh, do it there, but I, I don't think they uh, I don't think they relied heavily on it. Has that been a way to kind of deter? Uh, a little bit of that that zone read out of Mariota because I mean obviously he's running with the football quite a bit and they're not afraid to use that. But have you seen a lot of a lot of teams try to defend it that way? Yeah, you you've seen a, a decent amount of that, and it's been effective when teams have been able to sort of identify that. Uh, Washington kind of struggled with it early in the game, and it was, it was very effective. Mariota's running in that game, and then late in the game. Uh, they were able to sort of thwart that, uh, which, you know, set up that final play that resulted in Deron Payne uh, deflecting the ball and, and and Kendall Filler intercepting the ball in the end zone. So uh, teams have made adjustments to that, um, and, and that's been one way that teams have been able to keep that in check. But obviously, uh, you know, Mariota can't hurt you with his legs, uh, so certainly teams will have to game plan for it, uh, but it, it hasn't. It's, it hasn't been consistently um, a huge part of the Falcons offense. Some weeks it is like last week and in other weeks, they kind of, you know, don't like to utilize a lot of it. Uh, primarily, I, I think when the Falcons have, have loved using it is really in the red zone um, and in goal to goal situations. That's where they like to spring it on teams. And we've gotten a couple of rushing touchdowns from Mariota this year, uh, utilizing that read option stuff. Uh, right tackle, I guess, Caleb McGarry uh, this week. Uh, how big a concern is that uh, going up against T.J. Watt? I would imagine, you know, because they like to use a lot of tight, uh, multiple tight end sets that uh, those will probably be the T.J. Watt's uh, side uh, overall there. Uh, protection issues overall, uh, uh, you know, this doesn't seem like a team that, that likes to drop back and throw it deep too many times they take their they take their shots overall but i'm, I'm guessing this will be a, a Mariota try to get the ball out type uh quick type game yeah they they have definitely been doing their best to kind of hide some of their deficiencies in terms of pass protection the offensive line has been outstanding obviously in the run game but a little bit deficient in the pass protection they falcons have dialed up a lot of play action this year um in order to sort of mask those issues in recent weeks, especially they've been trying to get the ball out of Mariota's hands at a much quicker rate uh, with some high percentage throws. As far as the Caleb McGarry, uh, TJ Watt matchup, yeah, that is going to be certainly a challenge for McGarry. He is having his best season so far. 
as a Falcon, as a former 2019 first round pick. Uh, and this is a contract year for him. So he is basically playing for his NFL future and is playing at a level as a really good run blocker and a capable functional, whatever you want, whatever term you want to use pass protector. But the thing that has always give, given Caleb McGarry struggles and something that TJ Watt probably will be able to take advantage of because he's done it so many times against other tackles over the years is speed, right? That's really sort of where McGarry kind of struggles with those really explosive guys that can win on the first step. He's not the quickest foot guy. And so I do think, as you mentioned, putting a tight end beside him to try to slow down that rush uh, certainly will help him and maybe keep him uh, allow TJ Watt to not have the sort of monster game that I think people are hoping and wanting to see from him now that he's a, a couple of weeks removed from that injury. Uh, flipping over to the defensive side of football, looks like this is a team that likes to play a lot of zone, a lot of uh, uh, not, not blitz too terribly much and, and kind of, just more opportunistic than anything to see if they can uh, get teams to turn the football over. I think they have something like 10 interceptions uh, overall. I think four guys with like a couple each over there. And as far as middle of the field open and closed, it looks like they'd like to try to play a lot of middle or at least a more majority of middle of the field uh, type close, close type coverages, which, you know, obviously I think would mean a lot of cover one type situations or cover three type situations there uh, with a middle of the field safety uh is that what they are i mean they're they don't it doesn't seem like they blitz a lot they just look like they try to get in third and long situations and then wait for a mistake yeah that's exactly you you've covered the falcons defense in a nutshell uh they're they're a bend but don't break defense they've played a lot more cover three this year than initially expected it seemed like last year and then early in the season they were more transitioning to try to be more of those middle field open with those split safety looks uh but in over the last month or so it's been primarily sort of cover three uh looks and and they play a bend but don't break style of defense. They're going to wait for you guys, uh, the opposing team, to make a mistake on the third down or make a mistake in the red zone. And, and that's how they want to play, given that they have an offense that's predicated on running the football and they're not going to put up a ton of points each and every week. And that certainly has been the case the last couple of weeks. So they will do their their most to kind of minimize giving up the big plays. It hasn't always worked uh, this season, uh, but for the most part, is certainly after a, a sort of a shaky start, uh, to the year when it came to red zone efficiency on defense, they've been generally good for the most part uh, since, say, week two, week three, somewhere around there. So um, that's kind of how they play. They play, as you mentioned, a lot of zone. They've really dialed back on their man coverage in recent weeks, uh, especially upon A.J. Terrell returning to the lineup, which is a little bit surprising given that how good Terrell has been in man coverage in the past. You would think that with Terrell back healthy, they'd be a lot more willing to expand that. But they are seemingly trying to play it safe uh, these last couple of weeks and and play a lot more zone. It has, as you mentioned, led to their ability to get a a healthy amount of turnovers. And that's really kind of their key, right? They're going to hope that you settle for three points in the red zone. They're going to get a couple of turnovers here or there. That's going to steal a possession. And with the, you know, their offense being able to move the ball on the ground and hopefully converting in the red zone. Uh, in that case, that is sort of their winning formula. Aaron, why is this team struggling so much to get after the quarterback? They're among the league's worst in sacks. They have easily the lowest pressure rate. Grady Jarrett's a really strong player, but besides him, why aren't there other guys really able to get to the quarterback? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I know this is a problem that Steelers fans are, are not familiar with because, you, you, you know, you guys have been leading the league in sacks uh, pretty consistently over the last, you know, several years. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. It's it's Grady Jarrett, and that's really about it. There are, We've seen strides from their second-round draft pick in Arnold Ebiketti, but, you know, he's still a rookie. He still hasn't really come into his own. Uh, he's coming off a pretty solid game last week against Washington, uh, but he did injure him, his forearm in that game. So his status moving forward is going to be a little bit of a question mark and and whether or not he's going to uh, get a, a lot more reps moving forward if he's going to have his arm wrapped up or anything like that. So it, it's basically the Grady Jarrett show that has been consistently the theme this season, uh, a sprinkling of Arnold Epichetti here or there. You, maybe you get a, a rare play from Lorenzo Carter, their other outside linebacker. But outside of those guys, they really don't have anybody that's a reliable pass rusher. And basically, if Grady Jarrett's not getting pressure, they're not getting reliable pressure uh, against teams. And un- unfortunately, after a really hot start for Grady Jarrett earlier this season, things have kind of cooled off for him as a pass rusher. And I think a lot of that's owed to team just knowing that they can consistently double team him and force the other guys to try to beat you. And unfortunately for the Falcons, those guys aren't really uh, either capable or, or ready yet in the case of some of their young pass rushers uh, to really be that type of guy that can compliment Grady Jarrett. Sure. I was a big Ebiketti fan coming out of Penn State, though. So I think brighter days uh, ahead for him and for this Falcons pass rush. Uh, NFC is, opponent- is he going to make it through the week with that forearm? Yeah, that's a that's a question mark. Uh, it sound the the team sounds optimistic about it. Uh, they don't seem like the, you know they're going to shut him down or anything. So I think he's going to try to give it a go. Okay. But you know, I the team is not necessarily forthcoming with the exact nature of, of several of their injuries. So we don't quite know exactly what that forearm injury is, and it's something that they can just simply wrap up or, or put in a cast or a club or something like that and let him play. Or is it going to be something that's really going to uh, limit his ability, especially given how much the Falcons, you know, want their outside linebackers to go out there and set the edge uh, against the run. And, and so that may, if, if he does play, maybe he's limited to passing situations uh, where he can, you know, where that may not be as debilitating for him or or something like that. Gotcha. That makes sense for an NFC opponent. Uh, you know, Steeler fans probably don't know this defense as well as other teams. Uh, they, they would uh, tell me about an unsung hero of this defense besides some of the big names like Jared, AJ Terrell. Um, give me a name that that's kind of a glue guy for this defense. Steeler fans may not be aware of. Yeah, I think for them, you know, probably the two choices would probably be their nickel cornerback, Isaiah Oliver, or uh, their second year safety, Richie Grant. Those guys have been quietly very solid for this football team um, th- this season, uh, able to make a couple of plays, just giving you solid play, doing their jobs, those type, that type of mentality. Um, you know, we've seen a couple of splash plays from Richie Graham. We've seen a couple of splash plays from Isaiah Oliver, but you, you may not necessarily see them, you know, racking up these huge interceptions or pass breakups or anything, but, you know, solid tacklers able to, to utilize, um, some of the strengths of this defense when they're able to, you know, disguise coverage and, and be a little bit of versatile pieces. So, you know, I do think kind of the term you use as glue guys is a good way to describe both of those guys. Yeah. I was a big fan of Grant coming out of central Florida, big hitter, big impactful guy. My last question for you, Aaron, then I'll let Dave finish things. I just want to flip back to offense quickly. I want to talk about your starting center, Drew Dahlman, you know, Pittsburgh was in the market for a center around that time as well. And I feel like they chose the wrong, wrong, wrong uh, player with Kendrick green. So a, do you want to trade players? And B, uh, how is Drew Dahlman done in the middle of that, that Falcons offensive line? Yeah, I was a big fan of Kendrick Green at Illinois because uh, he seemed like a really good fit in that outside zone scheme. I know it didn't go quite as well for him 
uh, in Pittsburgh. It went, it went worse than quite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I it, went, <laughs> it went bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, Dolman has come on nicely this year uh, after basically riding the bench his rookie season. Um, it's still very up and down. You know, he's still an undersized center, tends to struggle against, you know, some of those more physical nose tackles uh, in the middle. So, you know, there's some weeks where you're like, oh, yeah, the Dolman's coming along nicely. And then there's some weeks where you're like, mm, you know, I, I still feel like, you know, he may be a ways away. So, um, you know, given where Kendra Green is, I would probably roll with Dolman moving forward. But certainly, if I you think had that's asked me safe. This, <laughs> if you had asked me this question a year ago, I, I would have been all on the Kendrick Green bandwagon, even despite his struggles, given that Dolman was at that point in time not even playing for the Falcons. Man, two teams here, two defenses that give up a lot of explosive plays. Uh, uh, Aaron, uh, what's going on that 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 that's you know contributing to Atlanta giving up so many explosive plays? And and are most of those? I forgot to look. Are most of those kind of coming deep shots down the field, or are, are a lot of those coming kind of catch and run type situations? It's a, it's a good mix of both. Um, okay. You know, a lot of it was basically they ran into a buzzsaw a, a several weeks ago against Cincinnati. Uh, I know you guys are, are familiar with what Cincinnati can do when it comes to generating those explosive plays. Uh, you know, they, you know, obviously Cincinnati has been dealing with an injury to Jamar Chase in the week since, but he was certainly healthy enough to absolutely annihilate the Falcons secondary. And that was a week where AJ Terrell was also out of the lineup dealing with an injury. And so that was a big contributing factor. So it, it's, it's, you know, despite their uh, desire to play that bend but don't break defense and, and not give up those explosive plays, it has been a problem. You know, they started out the game against Washington uh, with, you know, Washington running a Yankee concept and and Terry yeah. McLaurin beating them over the middle uh, for a big gain on that one. So it, it just they they have not been sort of consistently able to do the things that they want to do. So it's a combination of both. You can attack these corners, especially Darren Hall, uh, who's been replacing Casey Hayward uh, these last couple of weeks since he's uh, out of the lineup uh, with a shoulder injury. You can attack him down the field. There's been some questionable tackling from, from certain guys as well uh, that can, you know, lead to some of those big plays after the catch as well. Uh, yeah, this is a defense that can be ran on too, right? Yes, yes, you're 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 killing me, guys, <laughs> with pointing out all the all the problems on 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 the Falcons' defense. But yes, their their run defense has not been particularly great, and it's not going to get better given the injury to Quan Graham, who, along with Grady Jarrett, were the two most reliable run defenders in the middle. Uh, basically, if Grady Jarrett's not being disruptive and penetrating in the backfield, which he, he is, uh, uh, certainly consistently but if he's not penetrating the backfield uh if you can sort of you know keep him in check uh you can run you know the ball absolutely down the falcon's throat man uh alex and i are are, are are draft nerds and you know uh spend a lot of time during the process you do as well too but i really like d'angelo malone uh uh you know co- coming coming out this past season why aren't we hearing more about him yeah, it, this has been sort of the through line with uh, this Dean Pease-led defense, the Falcons' defensive coordinator, where they don't tend to trust rookies all that much. Um, and so, you know, Pease was speaking on this the other day uh, where he was basically saying that 
uh, a lot of it with D'Angelo Malone, you know, sort of slowly getting more and more reps as the season is wore on. It's just because, uh, you know, just getting familiarized with their scheme and some of the things that they're trying to do. So hopefully we'll see more of him down the stretch. And we've seen flashes of him making some plays throughout the season. Um, but it, I think a lot of it is just owed to, you know, they, they like to have guys that, you know, know what they're doing. Um, and, and so far through his rookie season, you know, at least in the first half of the year, uh, they didn't necessarily trust him to be that guy that knew what he was doing, but slowly, but surely they're getting him more up. So he's getting a little bit more comfortable, uh, and hopefully we can see him make more plays down the stretch. And then obviously we're hoping similar to kind of what Drew Dolman and Taquan Graham and Richie Grant, some of these guys that, uh, barely got playing time as rookies uh, will sort of explode as, in their second years. All right, Aaron, uh, weird kind of game uh, opened on Tuesday. I think uh, Falcons a point and a half home favorite on this. Since this, there's been money pouring in on the Steelers. It's flipped it now to uh, Steelers a road uh, road favorite at a point and a half here. Uh, Cordero Patterson going to take it easy on the Steelers. What, what 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 do you have on this one as a final score? How do you see this one going? Yeah, I, I like the Falcons in this one only because it's at home, just because generally they tend to start a little bit better at home. And I think that will put some pressure on the Steelers with Kenny Pickett to maybe not as be reliant on their running game to sort of carry the offense and maybe force them to throw the ball a little bit early if the Falcons can get out to a, a, a fast start. Uh, some of their issues for the Falcons have been they get those fast starts and they don't necessarily maintain it through the second and third quarter. So that will be something that they'll have to worry about. But I think it's going to probably be a low scoring affair, a lot of running the football, uh, you know, a turnover here or a turnover there will probably be the deciding factor uh, for, you know, whoever winds up winning this game, the team that can secure the ball the best will probably walk away with a W, but I have the Falcons winning something like 20 to 17. All right. Fair enough. Tell people where they can find all your work, Aaron. They can, of course, check me out at Locked on Falcons daily Monday through Friday on wherever they get their podcasts. They can check out my writings at thefalcoholic.com. Um, and uh, you can also find me being very snarky about the Falcons on Twitter at Falcons. <laughs> uh, man, you're fantastic. Appreciate that. I mean, for, for you know, we, we hit you up kind of last minute there and you uh, obliged and we certainly do appreciate uh, this won't be the last time we have you on uh, Aaron down the road here. So uh, Aaron from uh, Alex and myself, thank you for being on the terrible podcast today with Dave and Alex. Thank you, Aaron. and welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to Aaron Freeman. You can be sure to follow him on Twitter at FalcFans, who covers Atlanta for Locked On Falcons, the podcast, and Falcoholic.com, where he writes. So be sure to check out his content. They're really good stuff from Aaron for first time, uh, you know, guest on the Terrible Podcast. Yeah, look, uh, like like he'd done it several times before. Really, really was impressed. Got some good information out of him. He knows that team. Uh, I've, I've 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 seen his work all over. Twitter before in the past, so I think he, uh, from an X's nose standpoints and schematics, and definitely from personnel standpoint, I think he knows what's going on there. Definitely, definitely. So let's uh, let's preview the game ourselves here, Dave. Pittsburgh four and seven, Atlanta only only five and seven, but very much in that you know terrible NFC South division. I mean, they are I think second place right now, right behind Tampa Bay. So it's really up for grabs. So this game means a lot to both teams. It certainly means a lot for Atlanta to try to still be in that division race. So. Starting with the Falcons offense, you know, I just have to say off the top, you know, Marcus Mariota has been healthy this year and very rarely has he ever been healthy. And so to have that consistent, steady presence, I mean, he's not playing great football, but I think he's run that offense effectively. So that's where it starts for me. Um, a guy that can beat you with his arm and certainly beat you with his legs. 
really a manager, right? Game game manager type situation, especially now that they don't have the tight end in pits and all like that. Uh, you know, they use him as quite just matriculate it down the field, boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's what it feels like. They'll run, you know, uh, boy, if you like zone running teams, uh, uh, that run all gamuts of the, uh, 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 of the zone, uh, you'll like this one, uh, because it's all over the tape. It you know, starts with the, uh, uh, you know, they'll obviously do some read option type stuff with him and, and based on what, what's crashing down, he'll keep it or not. He's not afraid to take off with the football. That's for sure. And, uh, uh, you know, the other stuff there, they'll throw some, uh, inside zone. They'll, they'll even try to run some of that stretch outside zone or run some, some toss, uh, they'll run, uh, regular RPO stuff where they'll try to get the football out quick on the screen game there. I mean, not, not they're, they're not reinvent inventing the wheel here. In fact, they don't really take that many shots uh, down the football overall. But when you think of Marcus Mariota, I think, I think you think of a guy that you got to stop on the ground. Uh, you got to make sure you, you, uh, uh, you have those passing, you know, those, those escape lanes sewn up, uh, in passing situations and don't let them escape that way. And you, you kind of play opportunistic football because if he's forced it, uh, to continue to push the football down the field, that's when you're most likely to take it away from him here. So I, I would think that, you know, we talk about the, uh, that, that, that mess charge every now and again, when we talk about quarterbacks uh, willing to run Mariota's certainly one of those. So I think you'll see the Steelers try to utilize that early and say, all right, you want to keep it or, or give it away. Regardless, you're going to take a pop Marcus. Right. I do want to offer a, a medical warning for anyone about to watch this game on Sunday. If you get motion sickness, please be be aware because there's going to be a motion off between the Falcons and the Steelers offense. These teams run a ton of motions. <laughs> orbit trade. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they are doing everything pre-snap. Tar Lawson spoke to that that said, you know, whenever they get to the line, what they look like is never how they're actually going to be when they snap the football. They're always trying to do something to try to displace people and uh, you know, just just mess with your eyes and things like that. So expect a ton of motion pre-snap uh, from both offenses in this game. When it comes to the Falcons in the run game, I think two things. I think zone reads, I think outside zone. They got a good outside zone scheme, good stretch scheme. Patterson can hit the edge, and then they run that zone read concept with Mariota. They incorporate an arc block, so essentially they'll have a, a tight end come across the formation, won't block the, the read uh, of the defensive end. He'll move to the second level and have an arc block to that. So there's some layers to that. Very much a 49ers Shanahan based kind of offense. So how do you defend zone read? How do you defend outside zone? Uh, those things will be pretty critical in this game. Yeah, uh, your best uh, your best uh, defense in this one might might be put points on the board. You know, get them kind of out of their comfort zone. Uh, but even if it's kind of what I've seen in other games here, they they are willing to kind of stick to this. And we've talked about Cordero Patterson a bunch, right? <laughs> this guy. This guy can take it to the house anytime that he ha- gets the football in his hands, and that's even in the backfield as well, too. They'll split him out a little bit. They'll uh, they'll 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 try to throw the the underneath kind of zone sits, you know, check downs to him as well, too. So, uh, 
First and foremost, I think it starts with our right with, with starting with stopping that running game. You got to stop the uh, the zone read. And you got to stop the inside and outside zone with Cordell Patterson. Yeah, that's first, second, and third. It's a lot of pistols, a lot of diamond sidecar stuff. It, it has that Shanahan feel and also that, that 49ers feel when they ran it with Kaepernick back a decade ago. It has a similar look and feel to that. And just to the hammer the point home on the rushing attack. The Atlanta Falcons have run the ball 217 times on first down this Mm. season. That is 70% of the time. That is by far the most in football. Second place are the Titans at 65.9. So a pretty big gap between first and second place. I mean, they don't really hide what they're going to do in terms of run pass. They just try to dress that up as much as possible. So you're not quite sure what what look you're going to get. So um, it's 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 an interesting offense, not a big play offense. Um, how much would you compare with the Baltimore? I don't think it was a question asked about that to Terrell Austin. I certainly see similarities between what the Ravens have done and what the Falcons do. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, you know, my terrible take yesterday was this is a, yeah, uh, assuming they can get the W here, uh, you know, you obviously don't want to look past this game and think, well, what if they uh, get their second win in a row? And then, you know, you got Baltimore up next. But I mean, if you want to plan out kind of a schedule, uh, for things to work on and 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 dress rehearsals for, I, this is the way to go, is my opinion. Start with uh, start with the Falcons, and then uh, uh, spend time you know working on defending that. Then move up to the Ravens uh, the following week. So yeah, you're you're exactly right. There there are a lot of similar. There are a lot of things that you'll be able to that you put into I think prep time this week. Uh, be able to carry over next week. Now, although those Ravens tight ends are a lot more, a lot more deadlier uh, in the passing game than, than, than the Falcons, obviously without pits now here. But uh, I tell you what that, what they'll try to do as well too, with these, with, with the Falcons is uh, not only in that outside zone, they do a good job. Those, those guards, I think of in that outside zone of knowing when to turn that thing back inside, you know, uh, uh, if they, if they can win the if they can win the reach in the cutoff area, those guys got a great feel for trying to get 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 those creases in that outside zone open in a hurry. And uh, Cordell Patterson can can certainly run through those lanes as well, too. The other thing that I think that you'll see as part of either you know, the RPO or their screen game is I think a couple of times in their take this year, they've 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 done that where it looks like uh, they'll run it out of kind of a bunch set over to to the to uh, to the uh, like like the the uh, uh the boundary side and then, you know, have those guys fake going out up to the edge of blocking and releasing upfield and Mariota kind of pumping the screen and then going vertical to say a slot fade that way. So that there, there's gotta be some sort of an alert on that because they'll try to, I think, lull you to sleep, mm-hmm. uh, with, with kind of that zone read or so, you know, quick, quick screen game over to the side only to run a pump fake uh, and, and fake block and release up for an explosive play or, or, or a slot fade. Yeah. I would say they, their pass game is constraint play based where they're going to run one thing to set up something else. And so the example that you're illustrating is in the scouting report, they ran a tunnel screen to, to Patterson against Washington early. Then they faked it later in the game and had a, a slot fade on divide concept. Two vertical We've seen routes. the Steelers do. We've seen Roethlisberger yeah. do that before, right? Yeah, it's not unique to right. Atlanta, but but they, but Atlanta certainly that's their bread and butter. They are very much constrained play, play action, make make the runs look like passes, passes look like runs, things like that. I, I was gonna to my question earlier. I was gonna flip it and say certainly preparing for Atlanta helps you prepare for Baltimore. 
But I think all the years spent preparing for Baltimore helps you prepare for Atlanta this sure. week because you don't see the Falcons that often. And so you don't know their personnel as much, but because that offense is on a base level, there are probably, you know, nitty gritty granular differences. But I think just what you do against Baltimore helps you actually get ready for a team. You only play once every four years. So that's, that's one thing working in Pittsburgh's favor. But to your point to the pass game, I think in trade plays, play action, max protect, two-man routes. I think getting to the quarterback will be interesting because the Falcons are always moving the pocket. They're always kind of sliding the line, and it's never, it's rarely a traditional pocket. On third and long, it will be, but early downs, they're always kind of sliding and things like that. So how will Pittsburgh attack Mariota with kind of a different look and feel, kind of what Miami does? That'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, you almost try to, you know, you 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 give up. You have to kind of be resigned, maybe to giving up some sacks to uh, uh, prevent Mariota from escaping and 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 doing stuff with his legs. And that that's yeah. a big. I mean, he's done a lot. What, he's got four hundred something yards and four touchdowns or something uh, so far this season. So he, you know, he's not afraid to take off with the football. Uh, and if there's there's two ways that this 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 Falcons team is going to kill you. Uh, it's five yards of carry on the ground, uh, or it's, you know, a couple of explosive plays delivered by Cordero Patterson or Marcus Mariota on the ground, uh, there, because they're not really that, a team that I think, especially without bits right now, is going to scare the bejesus out of, out of you, out of, out of pushing the football vertically down the field through the air. No, but they have some weapons. I mean, Drake London's a first round pick, big pedigree guy, height, weight, speed type player, or at least height, weight. I mean, he's, he's got the body, you know, size to to go out there and, and have some jump ball opportunities and things like that. And, and beyond that, there really aren't a lot of names, but sometimes those no names can can kind of hurt you. Uh, Zacharias, as, as Aaron mentioned, it's a, a speedster. Hodge has been a big play threat. He's averaging over 16 yards per catch and. Uh, they they scheme things up well. They ran Y leak for a touchdown in the red zone against Washington. The, the tight end kind of leaked out and uh, found some open grass backside. And so uh, they they have a good identity. And and so when you have a team with a good identity, they're always a, a challenge. Look, the Steelers, uh, both these teams, uh, <laughs> giving up a lot of explosive plays uh, this year. So, uh, but however, comma, you go back a couple of weeks ago when the Steelers were pre- preparing to play the. Uh, uh, the Saints, they ended up getting out of that game with with, with none, right? Uh, no explosive plays allowed. So, right. uh, I, I think there's a, I think there's a possibility as long as you don't let them pop one on the ground. I think there's a possibility that you might could get out of this with with with, uh, let's say at a at a at a max two explosive plays allowed on defense. And if you do that, you're gonna have a good chance. You should have a good chance to win a game if you're not turning the football over. Sure. Pittsburgh's run defense has really bounced back from last year. I mean, they rank, I think, top five from a yards per carry aspect after being 32nd a year ago. So really seeing the bounce back there and that that boats well in this game. But again, the Falcons are multiple and unique and it's really a, a down to down type of challenge. So any other final thoughts there when it comes to the uh, Falcons offense? No, I think uh, we covered most of it there. Falcons defense, probably a little less impressive overall. Um, their run defense is middling, I would say. Uh, they do have a, a former first-run pick and Rashawn Evans at linebacker in the middle, who Pittsburgh had a lot of interest in whenever he came out, but that's a whole separate conversation. So what are you seeing with this Falcons front? Uh, I see them play a lot of uh, a lot of 2-4-5 uh, up front there, and 
really, really heavy usage when it, when it comes to, in fact, I think that's the number one uh, usage across the league uh, for them overall there. Uh, you see a lot of seven-man box type situations with them. Uh, they like to play zone coverage now, I think 65% of the time uh, on defensive side of football. They like to play a lot of middle of the field closed stuff. So as we talked with Aaron, a lot of cover three, a lot of cover one. Uh, they don't play, you know, once again, they their, their man usage is, I think, around 20%. And that has them near the bottom of the league in that. And then on top of everything else, they don't blitz a lot, uh, 16%. Uh, I think uh, usage of the blitz this year, and that ranks towards the bottom of the league as far as uh, blitz per, per, per percentage as well uh, goes on top of it there. So they're really they're really more of a, I, what I consider kind of an opportunistic defense than anything else. Yeah, I think with their front, uh, they match. They're Cincinnati-like in the sense of when, when teams go heavy, they're going to go heavy too. So if you're going to come out with multiple tight ends and two back and stuff like that, they're going to have a five-man front. They're going to run that 5-2 look and, and try to really stop the, the run at the first level. If you can get into that second level, then that's where you can kind of find a crease and, and find some room. Uh, they're a really good. They're a fundamental unit. They don't, as you said, they're not crazy schematically. They're not going to do a whole lot of you know, interesting things and wrinkles. I don't blitz a ton, but they're, uh, they've only missed 37 tackles this year. That's third best in football. And they played all, they've yet to have a bye week. So you know, they're probably even better on a per game basis. So they don't miss tackles. They're fundamentally sound. Um, they are allowing the big play, which we'll talk about in a second, but I just think schematically, they're not trying to do too much and just trying to play kind of very much a basic base type of defense. Yeah. They, they just try to play the keep you behind the chains game game and and hope you try to make a mistake on third down situation there uh, overall but it is alarming with them to look at them playing that style of ball with that much zone defense and they're still giving up you know, a lot of damn explosive plays yeah to your point as many as pittsburgh correct 45 oh, yeah. plays at 20 plus yards yeah, this year through, through the year those two are right there near near the <laughs> uh, near the bottom right at the bottom of the league i wonder how it's been over the last say month or so what the numbers say has anyone gotten better in terms of not allowing the big play well i mean the Steelers. i mean i uh the Steelers didn't have any against the uh against the saints to give up but they gave up more than enough against the uh who was it the Bengals uh and the eagles for sure uh uh i mean w- without a doubt though a good chunk of those explosive plays that they did give up did come out of the come out of two games, particular with uh, against the Eagles and the Bills. We right, talk about right. the Steelers, Steelers side of things, though. But I mean, they still got gave up what like six to the uh, 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 to the Bengals, and what did they give up to? What did they give up three, four to the uh, Colts this At past least week? Two, probably three. Woods was tearing them up. Pittman had a twenty-eight yarder, so I would say three, four. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Atlanta has a similar story. It sounds like the Bengals chewed them up for the big play too. So I think they're 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 holding hands in a lot of ways here, Pittsburgh and Atlanta. Right. Uh, look, I mean, I if the Steelers can hold hold the Falcons to to three or fewer explosive plays, they'll they'll obviously be in this one. You know. Should watch out for their top cornerback, A.J. Terrell, who's one of the most underrated players in football, I would say. He does a great job of locking down his side. I know Aaron said they don't play a lot of man coverage, and even less so since he's come back from injury, which is, I agree, kind of strange. But there are times where they they play uh, split field coverages, where if it's three by one, which is very much a traditional common set that Pittsburgh will run with Deontay Johnson, the backside X receiver. They will allow Terrell just to, to play man coverage, what you call Meg coverage which stands for man everywhere he goes such a solo 
man coverage backside, and then they'll zone it to the trip side with some, you know, cover four, some match, whatever it is. Um, and so they kind of play some of that split field stuff because they have a, a lockdown type corner in AJ Terrell. Look, I think this team can be run on. Uh, and, and I said the same thing last week, I believe as well too, against, uh, uh, the Colts. Be, uh, I really think this Falcons team can be, this defense can be run on, and especially if Arnold's not, uh, uh, how you pronounce the last name? Uh, uh, if he's not 100% and he's not going to be 100% in this game, uh, I, I really think this is a front, especially the way the Steelers have, have played up front with their offense line. This is a battle that they should win. I, I think uh, even without Najee Harris, they should be able to establish some sort of running game early against this, uh, against this Falcons front. Yeah, I think they certainly can run too. The big guy to watch in the middle is Grady Jarrett, who's been doing that this thing for years now and he's always a threat and he's got I think he's got 10 tackles for a loss on 44 tackles of the season so when he makes his plays he's disruptive they're a leading sack guy but yeah they the Falcons have the one of the lowest blitz rates in football and their pressure rate is 11 percent on the year I mean there's nobody even close to that. I think 31st is like 14 15 percent so they are comfortably last and so you would expect Pittsburgh to keep the pocket clean for Kenny Pickett against the Falcons defense that's allowing the big play. There's certainly a correlation between lack of pressure and the big play allowed. So hopefully you can, you know, be able to, to get the deep ball working in this game. Yeah. And you, in the, in the occasion that you catch them on one-on-one outside, I think you got to take your shots then for sure. Sure. And cover three, you're going to probably get a lot of one V one chances, not a lot of middle of the field type stuff. It's going to be a lot of stuff on the outside. Do you want to work Terrell? Might be a riskier matchup. So whoever's opposite of AJ Terrell, uh, might be the guy getting a lot of those those go balls. All right. Special teams. Have, usually we don't talk about special teams too terribly much, but in this game, certainly you have to. Cordero Patterson, now the NFL record holder with nine career kick return touchdowns, had one earlier uh, just not too long ago this season. Uh, Boykin coming back, as we presume Boykin being back will be big, but still uh, this will be a, a challenge for a Steelers kick coverage unit that has not been good since the bye. Man, every touchback you get in this game feels like uh, a, a win. It has to be the it has to be the the, the goal, right? Just boom right. it as, as far as you can, get it nine yards deep, and and dissuade the return. Right, right. If, if, if but he'll he'll still try to bring it out if it's right. three or and, four, and he might sure. try to bring it out nine deep. But right, because they know uh, how bad Pittsburgh's been, so why right. you have to challenge it? I think. Right, right, right. So, uh, uh, show him the show him the deep ball on the kickoffs this this week. Yeah, yeah. So, any other final thoughts here when it comes to the Falcons? No, just really, really kind of, I don't know what you thought about having to do the film on it uh, beforehand there, but really kind of a blah, <laughs> not, not much, not much really overly impressive on the tape in a couple of games I watched on them. I think their offense is kind of interesting. I think it's different. I mean, this world of pass happy offenses, you're, you're kind of seeing, do you feel like you're seeing a cyclical thing where teams are starting to go run heavy because the whole league was whole pass happy for the last yeah, five years. Yeah, and look, it's showing up in explosive plays, uh, being down, it's showing up, uh, uh, in scoring, I think going down. Yeah. I, I, I really think there is, you're seeing a shift more back to, uh, uh, to run, Run fun, you know, run fundamentals, and then obviously, you know, the the RPO and all like that and all. But uh, uh, and if it's not runs, it's a lot of a lot of shorter passing a little uh, as of late. I think. Right. Yeah, I get that too. The defense though for Atlanta was very boring. It was very right. dry. You, you watch one play, you've seen them all kind right, of right because they, they 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 don't they don't even really stunt. I don't think that much up front, do they? 
Well, I will say, I, I should mention this, very similar to New Orleans, on third and long, they're going to run some amoeba-type stuff, and they're going to put their, their nose tackle head up as a zero-tech over center, and they're going to run stunts off of that, and the center's not able to slide because he's covered up and stuff like that. So uh, I'm a little worried about the stunt pickup because Pittsburgh has struggled there pretty mightily. And so on third and long, when they're going to put the nose tackle head up, kind of creates those two v- two v 2 matchups there on either side. And so that that's a worry there. Well, stay out of third and long, man. Yeah, that's going to be the goal for uh, sure. You got to run the ball in first down. Uh, and you know, look, uh, it goes without saying the, the Steelers got to do a better job of punching this thing in uh, down down in the red zone. There, too many times now, we're seeing them. We're seeing the drives materialize now. We're just not seeing enough of them come away with uh, uh, with seven instead of three. Yeah, red zone offense. It's been better. They're 54% since the buy, but that's still an objectively pretty poor number. Overall, it's just been better than where it's been at for Pittsburgh. But you want to see that number, I always want to say above at least 60%, probably the mark to hit. Okay. All right, Dave, I think that covers the Falcons pretty well. We'll make our picks here for this game in a moment. But before we do that, let's hear from our friends over at my bookie. All right, Alex, uh, your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it's about time you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Bet on the NFL, NCAA, or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly blackjack tournaments they have. Sign up at MyBookie. Use promo code TERRIBLE on deposit of $500 or more, and you can claim a bonus up to $200 on top of it. Let me read that again. Sign up at MyBookie. Use promo code TERRIBLE on a deposit of $500 or more, and you can claim a bonus of up to $200 in doing so. Again, that's promo code TERRIBLE to claim a brand-new deposit bonus designed for betters looking to get their cash in and cash out quick. Experience sports in a whole new light and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right. And we are both 1-0 on the week with the uh, Bills beating the Patriots last night. So good start for both of us. Let's make our picks for week number 13. All right. Let me pull up some lines here. Who do we have talking today? It's got uh, TJ Watt was uh, probably not going to see Najee, huh? Today or yeah, with the injury, uh, they'd probably get somebody to fill in for him, but uh, I don't know who it would be. We'll see. All right. Uh, let's see. Alex, New York. Uh, let's see. The Vikings are hosting the New York Jets. The Vikings are three-point home favorites in this one. Mike White certainly brought stability there, playing within structure and things like that, but still give me Minnesota at home. Yeah, I'm going to go lay the three points there as well, too. Uh, I need to see more for, from uh, from Mike White to get more confidence in him. So Vikings minus three for the both of us there. Denver Broncos on the road at the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens eight and a half point home favorites in this one over the Broncos. Broncos, what a absolute mess. Give me Baltimore. Yeah, I don't see how you don't take this. And, and, and even though eight and a half is a little juicy there, uh, I'm with you. I'll take Baltimore late eight and a half in this one. The Washington Commanders on the road against the New York Giants. The Commanders are two and a half point road favorites mm. over the G-Men in this one. Is Odell Beckham really going to come play for the Giants again? He's starting his tour here, so the Giants want to look good for him. Man, I don't know about this one. This one's this one's tough. 
yeah, give me Washington. I'm kind of on on the commander's bandwagon, so give me Washington. Yeah, I think uh, Dave Dable has something for him. Some sort, you know, maybe at least keeps it close uh, in this one. So uh, I smell a rat in this one. I'll take the Giants plus two and a half points in this one. Uh, Tennessee Titans on the road against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are favored by four and a half points at home against the Titans. Um, I just think the Eagles are just too big play ability. Uh, so give me Philadelphia. I think the Titans can control the football through the running game right up the gut on this defense. I, mm. I, I, I looked at some stuff this past week that if the if Tennessee can run like most people think they can run, they'll keep this game uh, very, very close throughout and might possibly even win it. So uh, I'm sold. Give me that Tennessee Titans running game plus the four and a half points in this one. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars on the road against the Detroit Lions. This is a pick em game. So pick them. I'm picking Jacksonville. I've really been encouraged by Trevor Lawrence's progress. Uh, I'll go with you there, too. Even though it's a road game, at least it's in a dome uh, there, right? Uh, so give me the Jaguars in a pick them straight up here. Cleveland Browns on the road. It's the Deshaun Watson ball. Return of Deshaun Watson. And they're, they're doing a uh, – it's like it's not even happening. Uh, it's, uh, the league doing a good job of kind of keep try, trying to keep the attention off of this one, I think, uh, overall. Weird. His first game back playing his former team on top of it. Uh, Browns on the road laying seven points against the Texans in Watson's first game of the season. Yeah, I don't know what to make of Watson in this one. First game in two years. There's going to be rust to what degree and how much does it impact then? I'm not sure. But given the strengths of that run game, other guys to lean on and just the Texans being so bad. I think Kyle Allen's still starting, I believe, and just no quarterback in Houston right now. So I'll go with begrudgingly. I'll go with the Browns. I think the Texans can at least keep it close, Alex. I think Watson in that rust and uh, playing at home. Uh, I don't think I think the Browns win this, but I, I think the Texans cover. So I'll take the plus seven there. Green Bay Packers on the road against the Chicago Bears. I guess Aaron Rodgers is going to play after all. Uh, man, the Bears are beat up. I think I even saw Chase Claypool on the injury report uh, this week mm. for the for, for 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 the Bears here. Packers laying four on the road against the Bears, the Bears. Oh, man, that's a good one. I mean, the Bears offense has been better overall. Packers have been so I would say it's a field goal type game. I think Packers win, but Bears cover. I'll go the other way. I'll I'll take the Packers uh, cover that four here. Uh, That takes us to the Dolphins at the 49ers should be a good game for sure. Uh, 49ers at home laying four points to the Dolphins. Yeah, it will be. I mean, Mike McDaniel. Coming back to San Fran, I just think that the Dolphins have a better and more potent passing attack, but really good game, uh, really interesting battle there. I'm going to lean Miami in this one. I'm going to take the other side from you. I think the home field advantage here, the, the ability of San Francisco maybe to eat some clock with a run is going to be the difference here. I think they win, and I think they cover that four. So give me the 49ers later, four points in that. Seattle Seahawks on the road against, uh, man, the poor Rams are just beat up. Man, uh, uh, Seattle, seven-point road favorites over L.A. Rams in this Wow, one. what a line there. Yeah, Kenneth Walker running really well. Talk about rookie of the year candidates. He's probably leading that group right now. Gino Smith's still doing his thing. Give me Seattle. 
Give me Seattle late a seven. I don't see how that's close. Kansas City on the road against the Cincinnati Bengals. This one should be a good one. Uh, Kansas City laying two going into the jungle. Yeah, rematch of the title game last year should be a really good game. Um, and this one, I mean, Chase is coming back in this one. You know what? Usually I go Kansas City. Give me the Bengals in this one. I'm going to go the other way for me. I think Kansas City uh, handles them. Although Kansas City... I think they're Nixon's red back, zone. right? They're, uh-huh. Yeah. I, uh, I think uh, uh, the Chiefs red zone defense might be one of the worst in the league, if you can believe that. You know mm-hmm. what? I'm talking myself out of this one. Give me the guy. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm flipping because that red zone defense is so bad. Give now the, you can guarantee the Chiefs are going to win. Yeah. Uh, give me the Bengals plus the two points there. Uh, I'll go with Alex after all on this one. Uh, the Chargers on the road against the Raiders. Raiders laying one point at home versus the Chargers. Mm, interesting line there. Give me one one last week here with the Chargers. You know what? I, I smell the rat here, and I'm 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 going to go after it here. I'll lay. I'll take the Raiders to win basically this straight up and and cover the one point in this one. Uh, Indianapolis Colts are. Uh, hosting the, or no, the Dallas Cowboys are hosting Indianapolis Colts. Dallas laying 10 and a half against the, the Jeff Saturday boys. Mm, it's a big line overall. You know what? Dallas wins, but the Colts with Saturday, they find a way to cover this one. I'll take Dallas covering that 10 and a half uh, uh, on this one very easily here. Tampa Bay hosting the New Orleans Saints. Alex, uh, Tampa Bay laying three and a half at home. I believe this is the Monday night game. Yeah, give me give me Tom Brady in Tampa. You know what? I'll take the uh, – well, it's, in, it's in Tampa. I, I might be a little bit more tentative just in New Orleans. Uh, yeah, give me Brady late at three and a half in that. Uh, by the okay. way, Drew Brees not struck by lightning. It's officially confirmed. So okay, that was good. just uh, some marketing. Just a promo, huh? Stunt. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, that brings us all the way back to the Steelers versus the Falcons in Atlanta. This thing's moved all over the place here. It was a point and a half, uh, uh, in some places with the Falcons starting the week, the favorite by a point and a half, it moved, uh, to the Steelers, uh, laying a point and a half in this one, depending on where you got it. Well, right now, my bookie actually has this game as a pick em game. Mm. I liked your Seinfeld, George Costanza moved. moved. I don't, I'm not a big Seinfeld guy, but uh. I've watched enough to know uh, that reference overall. I, I've really been mixed on this one. I've been trying to talk myself into picking Pittsburgh throughout the show with the Steelers' better run defense, the Falcons' lack of a, a pass rush, lack of a passing game, the secondary having some issues there. The thing that I just get worried about, and I was doing some research earlier in the week, and I there, there honestly wasn't a, an obvious, clear correlation, but I think about Pittsburgh, short week on the road. That's a tough thing just fundamentally to do. Monday night, which is on the road, and then you're going on the road on a short week to Atlanta, one of their longest road trips of the season. I think about the Saints coming out flat against Pittsburgh in a similar situation. They played Monday night against Baltimore, then went on the road to Pittsburgh and, and did not play well overall. So, you know, I, I want this team to get its first win streak. They have not had a winning streak at all this you year. apologizing a lot here. <laughs> I, I'm really talking myself through this one here. So anyway, let me let me wrap this thing up. I got Atlanta winning this one. It's played close games the entire year. It'll be another close game, but I got Atlanta winning this one 20 the 17, just as Aaron's uh, score prediction was. All right. Uh, 
man, I've had this. I've been on the opposite. This is one of those that I talked about like last week. This is a game they should win, uh, in my opinion, especially without, you know, now that the Falcons don't have uh, pits and, uh, man, just the uh, pickets been progressing. I think that defense can play better, even better. Uh, there's no way I'm not taking it. I mean, I, I, I have to take the Steelers in this one. I, I, I will be very disappointed if they even lose, if they lose this one, because this is a game I think they should win. I have this a one point win though, after all said and done, uh, I think the Falcons maybe get a late field goal in this one. I'll take the Steelers 24 Falcons, 23, one pointer. For a guy that talked us up so much to have a one-point squeaker. Well, I mean, I the, I, the, the man likes to come through the back door, you know, right. but uh, it wouldn't, it will it, if, if you're on the pick em line there, this obvious, that obviously won't matter. But I think the Steelers controlled this for most of the game. And may, maybe in typical fashion, they give up a couple, couple late scores and make it closer than what it should be. But I will be disappointed if this team loses to the Falcons on the roads, just straight out. I would be too, but I've come to learn to be disappointed by right. this team this year. It's hard to have nice things this season. Well, we're, we're not many times we're on the opposite side of this thing with them. Right. Uh, so, uh, and I, I don't know. I just, I, it's, it's just tough circumstantially. Like you're on the road, a short week. I mean, Atlanta just, just as a base thing, just as being like a home team in general has an advantage, just having that. Let me tell day. you, there's going to be a lot of Steeler fans in, in that, in that, in that Mercedes-Benz yeah. Stadium, though, uh, sure. they, any if you're a Steeler fan and you're from the South, uh, you, you don't get many opportunities to come that close to to to, to go get them. So or go see them. So they're going to be a lot of Steeler fans in attendance for this one for sure. Absolutely. So we'll see what happens, and we'll as always root for me to be wrong. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's uh, get a couple minutes left here. Let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show. All right, let's do it here. Let me pull up the email machine. I think we just got a couple of them in here. Uh, William Gress, uh, good morning. Like many Steeler fans, I have been frustrated with Matt Wright's kickoff duties and field goal performances. Uh, every field goal looks low and inches from being blocked. Uh, the issue I have is the lack of loft. He is able to put on the ball. I'm not sure uh, if this is leg strength or just being a smaller frame, 5'11", but but compared to Boswell, 6'2", or McPherson, 5'11", it seems significant. I think that the kickoff that was returned for significant yardage by the Colts had a lot to do with lack of loft and how much uh, room he has to start his run before coverage could arrive. Do you folks have any data time on the balls in the air that uh, Wright has versus Boswell? This is typically something you look for with punters, and I'm wondering if it show off in kickoffs. I haven't been charting uh, that, uh, Alex. You, you uh, I doubt you've been charting that uh, loft time either, right? I've been wanting to because I th I think it might be the biggest component to to an issue to look at. I think Wright has the leg strength. We talk about the eighty nine yarder that Dallas Flowers had that one seven eight yards deep. So the it's not that he's incapable of getting the ball into the end zone. It was a dome. I mean, you know, it's it's good weather conditions, all those kinds of things. So I wonder about the hang time, but I have not taken the the time to actually sit there with a stopwatch and and, and chart it. But that's something that certainly would be uh, logical to to talk about and wonder about. Yeah, look, uh, William, you heard Alex and I talk about this because of Cordero Patterson back there. Uh, let's see if that if, 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 if Wright's got enough leg strength to kick it out of the back of the end zone because there's no way I don't tell him to try to do that. Uh, the last times that Cordero Patterson can touch the football, uh, especially on a kickoff situation, the better for the Steelers there. So, you know, no wind and, 
You would think this kid would be able to get it at least seven, eight yards into the end zone, right, Alex? Yeah, but then as you said, will Patterson take that out? He probably will will do it once just to test the waters and see how things go. I just wonder, could you ever do a thing with a, a, a kickoff where it's like it's not a squib, but it's not the higher arcing. It's more of a medium line drive, like a double to the gap kind of thing where you kind of put it in the in a corner and there's just really no opportunity for it to be returned. Yeah, I think you're running it, in, I'm running I'm into maybe going Probably. out of bounds and all like that. Yeah, you're right. Which against Patterson may not be the worst thing. I will just boot it into the third row, take it at the 40. No, I'm kidding. Um, it, it'll certainly be be something to watch, though. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Larissa writes in, question for y'all. Hi, guys. Great coverage as always. I know the Steelers have more holes in Swiss cheese, but do you think there's any chance they would take Jordan Addison to pair him with Kenny like Joe and Jamar since Kenny was so successful with Jordan? Not a proponent of this. Just curious of your thoughts. Also, apologies. I heard wrong, but one of you at some point mentioned a Keller Witherspoon and being a shut down one corner. I'm cur- I'm curious what made you think that that was not me. <laughs> I don't think it was either of us. We talked about we, uh, that was the goal that he could potentially be that guy, the need for him to be that number one cover corner the way he was last year. He had the tools. The question we always had was, could he put it together and be consistent about it? And obviously has fallen short of the mark this year, plus been injured. Uh, Larissa writes, he's not even a good number two corner. Maybe by Steeler standards, a below average secondary play. He was the best, but I think he's very calculated in how he plays and isn't super aggressive all the time. I'll say this about Witherspoon in, 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 in the limited time that we have seen him. Uh, he has been more willing to stick his face in the fire, uh, when it comes to setting edge, but even so, I, uh, as much time as he's missing, look, he's cheap. So I don't think you just outright, you know, cut him during the offseason. But uh, with that not being guaranteed money to me, he's going to have to guarantee. He's going to have to earn his position on this roster next year. That's for sure. sure. Uh, I, I don't think he's a number one. I No, he's not right now. But I don't want to, you know, rewrite history. He was a top corner this team had at the end of last year. He was making plays. He was picking I, up passes, I breaking up more, passes. Uh, I view him more opportunistic. Uh, yeah, in, in a couple of those situations, but you got to have that. And look, anytime you get a cornerback that has three, four interceptions, you can't ignore it. You know, right? I mean, I just don't want to. Like everybody was impressed by Witherspoon last year, as they should have been. So I just, it's easy to forget about. But I mean, he was really good at the end of last year. But again, can he do it over a full season? That's always been an issue, his issue, and it's never uh, really happened. Now, in terms of Addison. Sure, I think there'll be interest there. I haven't done the tape study too much. Watch out for the one guy who just declared yesterday, Zay Flowers in Boston College. I think makes a lot of sense for Pittsburgh, of course. Not that we're going to lean too heavily on these things with Pittsburgh, but Mike Tomlin, uh, Dino now plays for Boston College. Tomlin's made some trips up to BC this year to watch him. So I'm sure Zay Flowers has caught his eye as well. Yeah, and uh, Zay's going to act. What's the deal with the Is there more of a battle now between... Uh the senior bowl and the shrine bowl than what it used to be. Well, they're the same for, week, which I think is dumb. I mean, it was like for, that last year. Right. I, I, what I'm getting at is it is one, one side paying more money or what, you know, uh, uh, it seems like the senior bowl is doing a better job of, 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 of acquiring better talent. Yeah. I, I haven't, cause there's some drama there, which I try to just ignore. Um, it's under new management. The shrine bowl is with, uh, Eric Galco and, and that crew. And there's been some rumblings and certainly when you have them the same week, you're competing. I, they, the fact that they're the same week is pretty silly to me. They should be separate weeks so they each get their own attention. And you're not competing. I think that's kind of 
kind of strange, but yeah, it feels like there's there's the Shrine Bowls trying to to make themselves a bigger presence. All right. Well, we're gonna have people at both uh, for sure. But uh, as far as uh, look, uh, it's easy to draw draw the comparison to or draw a line to Jordan Addison. All I don't think this team is gonna draft a first round wide receiver. I think there is a possibility, obviously with with uh, with a second round pick. Now at this point, I mean, you you don't know what you have in Calvin Austin really yet. And, and I don't know if you can hang your head on that. And I think you, if you can get this team, another offensive weapon skill position wise, it's it, 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 you know, assuming they resign gentry and all like that, and then it's obviously going to be wide receiver. So I, will it be Addison? I don't know, but I mean, I, it's easy to draw the line to it. Sure. It'll be discussed this off season. I'm sure. Jason Kelly writes in, hey, boys, it was fun to hear Dave apologize to Cordell Patterson on Wednesday's show. It reminded me of the hardest you've ever made me laugh. He says it was years ago. I think the year Patterson came out, Dave said something along the lines of Cordell Patterson sitting in the corner eating crayons. Oh, my goodness. Every year I see him in highlights or in Madden. Uh, since then, uh, the image pops into my head. Cordella going uh, to town on a 64-count box of Crayola. I don't remember talking about him eating crayons, but I, I have been very hard on Cordell. Not not so much last two years because I've, I've been forthright these last couple of years of saying, man, that guy just keeps making plays. But I, I was uh, – you want to talk about an offensive guy that I missed uh, it it was him, and that's why I, I feel obligated anytime he makes a big play to make sure uh, uh, I, I point out that I probably owe him a cold drink for, for being on him so hard. Uh, thank you, yeah. Jason. Uh, let's see real quick. Mathena writes in, you guys discussed the left tackle versus left guard position the other day in the podcast as it pertains to the 2023 draft. Whenever you two disagree, I generally find myself agreeing with Dave Bryan, but this one I'm rolling with Alex. While acknowledging tackles are more valuable than guards, left guard is the bigger need on this offensive line. Dotson is in year three and his flat line, whereas Moore is in year two and still ascending. Moore had the starting job locked up, uh, uh, locked down early in camp, whereas Dotson was still battling it out with Kendra Green. I think that speaks volumes, he says. So I'm with Alex. I believe Moore can be a top 10, 12-ish left tackle. Uh, and he goes on to say, you also discussed the second bye week. He says he's in favor of a second bye week, uh, but it should come before a team plays on a Thursday night game. Yeah, I, I'm all on board mm. with that as well, too. Uh, two games in five games is absurd. It can be avoided with a second bye week. All right. Point taken there. Uh, he, uh, he, 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 he tends to agree with you that uh, left guard over left tackle. Yeah, there's a case for both. I understand the the need and the urge. And I sit there and go, you know, is Dan Moore ever going to be just a good left tackle or anything beyond a good left tackle at his best? And 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 probably not. Never going to be that elite level type of guy. And so if you're sitting there at say pick nine or twelve or whatever, and you have a chance to get a, a stud left tackle, it's going to be hard to say no to that. So I understand the thought there. Uh, there's a case to be made for both right now. I just think Dotson's been the more frustrating player. He's not fitting the scheme well, and um, a talented guy, but just never putting it all together. All right, uh, Alex, uh, we. Got this about an hour and a half right now, right? Uh, I think here. a little bit, a little bit under. Yeah, it's uh, time to wrap things up. All right, we'll wrap things up to keep this one on a little bit shorter side. Alex and I will be back on Monday to recap 
Well, we're hopefully talking about another story, depending, I guess, who's listening. Some of you probably might, might not want to win here in this situation. But regardless of what happens, Alex and I will be back on Monday to recap everything for you. A lot of great content. Scouting reports already up on Steelers Depot for the Falcons game, uh, full of images and, 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 and gifts. So make sure you get over there and read that. Uh, we'll keep the content flowing through the weekend as well, too. We'll cover whatever I think Watt's supposed to talk to the media later this afternoon. Obviously, injury report. Uh, so uh, once again, make sure you stop by cedarsdepot.com uh, and checking out the content there. And Alex and I will be back on Monday. So you can follow me on Twitter at Cedars Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, cedarsdepot.com, hit the donate button. Also, if you like an ad-free version of the site, cedarsdepot.com, hit the ad-free button upright navigational bar of the website. So uh, within all that as always thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with dave and alex